This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing, where each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom from the female perspective. Everything from Star Wars, to The Office, to cosplay, to fanfic. It's all right here, so sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to this very special episode of It's a Fandom Thing. On this episode, I'm going to be interviewing Brian Vincent Rhodes, who is an animator and a live-action filmmaker. Um, he's also an award winner. He's won several Telly Awards, was nominated for a BAFTA, was a BAFTA finalist for his short Mosquito, The Bite of Passage, which has been called the most advanced film in the history of USC by the faculty there. Um, he also has worked as a storyboard artist on Spies in Disguise, and he's had creative lead roles on Apple TV, Netflix, Sundance Film Festival, and the Grammys. So I'm very excited to be talking to him today. So Brian, if you want to take just a moment and just introduce yourself and give me just a brief background. Yeah, thank you, Aaron. First of all, thank you for bringing me on the show, and uh, I'm, I'm excited. It's, uh, I've, 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 I've heard a lot of awesome things, and it's just a privilege to be here. Um, my name, uh, as, as, as Aaron said, is Brian Vincent Rhodes. I, I originally from Detroit, Michigan. Um, I uh, was a, was an artist as a kid, like most people that kind of get into this stuff or some sort of fanatical obsession with the arts in ways, you know, various ways. I was my intro into it was animation, literally, like count comic books and animation. Um, but I was also like not totally aware growing up, like that this was a reality that you could sort of achieve. Uh, to some degree, so I I was always in the sciences. My parents were engineers, and they 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 had a uh, an engineering company in the in the city of Detroit. And I grew up sort of in that mold of like you know the sciences, and I loved that. That was a great part of my life. But I was also like always drawing. So like that part of my life felt more like a recreation than it did anything that could become a real career. And so. I did that, and then I, I, I did that for a long time, and I ended up going to college um, for um, engineering. I went to Michigan, and I went for mechanical engineering. I actually majored in mechanical engineering, <laughs> and uh, and I double majored because after my first year of engineering, I was like, man, I don't think I could just do this all day. I need something else. I need my art, you know? And uh, I ended up going into industrial design. So, like, for, for, for a while there, I was designing, like, you know, chairs and toasters and cars, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, that was all fun. But it just, after a while, it took me a few years of, like, being out in the industry. And, like, I, yeah, I was blessed with a, with a bunch of cool opportunities when I got out. And, and one of the places I worked at NASA for a little bit doing engineering, and I, 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 my last spot that had really changed my life, I would say, I was at Apple Computer. And uh, I was a designer on... I was a, a mechanical designer, so I was like, a, it was a little brief stint as an intern there in their design department, and I was trying to. I ended up doing this little film competition they had, and so it was like a, 
it was like a thing during the summer where you could you could uh, you could do this competition. And at that point, they were Steve Jobs was still alive, and uh, and this was a big thing at Apple. This little little this comp- film competition. I ended up winning this thing, and it ended up sort of ki- rekindling that love that I had for the arts and film and, and, and animation. And so I ended up, you know, he ended up liking that film and, and they used it to promote the intern program and all this kind of jazz. And it sort of kicked something in me where I was like, you know what, maybe I could do this. Like, I don't have any background in, in film really, but maybe I could do this. So I ended up starting that journey of that progression rather to find my way into the world of film. So I ended up being an art director for a few years and uh, in advertising, and then I ended up slowly progressing through a bunch of little jobs here and there to finally just having the courage to apply to film school and just ended up going to USC, got fortunate, actually got waitlisted, and then got in off the waitlist, first off the waitlist, because I had no animation experience. I had nothing. I just had sketches and, like, sheer grit (laughs) to get in to, 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 like, help, please. Let me have a second <laughs> shot at shot at a, a at a career at a life, and uh, I never looked back after that. You know, it was really for me. Um, you know, I was like thirty when this happened. You know, mm-hmm. so it was just like it was very much for me. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm gonna take this really seriously, and it, and it's funny because it comes back all the way around to like I knew I loved this as a kid. I just didn't know enough about myself to know that that was enough to just love it, <laughs> you know? And then, I, and then I ended up doing it, you know? And then it ended up being like, oh, my God, where has this been? But I will say that the engineering definitely helped. A lot of those things helped along the way that I didn't see. I didn't see then, you know? But now yeah. it's all very clear. But nonetheless, I ended up doing, you know, I've, I've worked in some really cool spots. Right now I work as a, as a, uh, I do a few things. Right now I'm at, Blue Sky Studios, which is Fox Disney. I'm helping to write a new feature that they got for, for Fox Disney, which is a really cool opportunity. I was a storyboard artist there and and um, you know, it was a, it was a, it was just been a lot of um it's been, you know, it's been um it's been a journey, you know. I would say the biggest thing with getting into art and I'm coining off a tangent, right? Because I'm just talking, I'm just hopefully I'm not <laughs> No, it's it's, it's really interesting. So. <laughs> I'm not too off the rails. But I will say um, it has been a journey because one of the things that I will say that is a departure from the way I was trained to think and the way I think you have to do as an artist is you have to a little bit you have to be creative in how you design your career a little bit and you have to be able to sort of withstand the ups and downs that come with this sort of um, more fluid. And, uh, you know, sometimes spontaneous lifestyle, you know, and, uh, you know, there's some stops and starts. I'm not going to paint it out like I just went from thing to thing to thing by any means. There were there was some been a fair amount of tough times and, and a fair amount of challenging times where you just feel like, man, you never felt like you made the wrong choice ever. I never felt that. But it's like, where's the light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, you know, there's some false starts. There's some things you think will happen. And then it kind of dissolves outside of your own control. Uh, And then there's things where, you know, I think the consistent thing is if you believe in yourself, that's the biggest thing I will impart to anybody as an artist. Just like for me, at least my lesson was believing in myself when any when when the world around you doesn't seem like it's making sense (laughs) and no one's telling you 
that, you know, these things are like, go this direction, go that direction. You kind of have to like slow down, find yourself and then make a path, make it just, just start walking in a direction and then eventually stuff works out. So mm-hmm. that long story short <laughs> <laughs> is an introduction. To no, it's, it's great though. And you know, I think that's true of a lot of art forms is sometimes you can think, well, there's no way you could do this for a living. This is just something you do for fun. Work is supposed to be work, right? And work isn't supposed to be fun. I think we have that mindset a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, it's interesting when you finally get to that point where you're like, no, I think I deserve to do this or I can do this or why don't I just take a shot? Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I also went to film school. I didn't go to as prestigious a school. <laughs> But I did. I, I, I'm a screenwriter. So I, I went to school oh, wow. for that. And, and I went later in life, too. And um, it, it was one of those things where I'm like, OK, if I don't do this now, I'm probably going to regret it. Yep. But I but I think it's great that there was also something that the, the impetus of it, of winning that that film award and, and and getting that that sort of little push of guidance of, you know, I don't know if, if you want to call it something else out there, just saying, okay, this is what you're supposed to be doing with your life. And here, I'm going to give you a little sh- nudge in the right direction. And so I think it's great that you followed that and didn't just go, okay, well, that was a fun little thing, but I'm going to put that aside. So, yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, and, uh, yo, shout out to you for that. That that's, that's amazing. I always congratulate anyone that's had, especially when you don't come from, this sort of pedigree that knows Mm -hmm. where to go. Like I didn't have, you know, it'd be different too. You know, maybe growing up in LA, you see people doing this stuff is a little easier. Maybe, I don't know, but I, but in Detroit, there was no one doing this. Yeah. For anyone that's just step out of comfort in that way, I applaud tremendously. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been it's been an amazing journey. I've, I've I've truly loved this. It is where my heart is. I will end my days doing this to some capacity, whatever that looks like. And uh, I just love the process. And I think one of the things that I will say that's a that's a change for me at least is um, I am more in love with the process and not necessarily the goal as much anymore. Um, goal is going to be there. The goal is what keeps me, you know, a goal is great, but I love, you know, when I was, when I was doing other things, it was about, you know, if I do this thing, I'll get this award out of it. Right. And that the process wasn't really fulfilling. Right. And so I think for me doing something that I love in this way, the process Almost is enough. Obviously, you want to eat. Obviously, you need to make things. You need to win a war. You know, you want all these ambitions. Obviously, you need to eat. I'm not even speaking to that. But the point I'm trying to make is that I have a deep amount of fulfillment from doing this professionally. And that was the first time I've ever experienced that. So, you know, it made me realize, like, this is where I need to be, you know? Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And, and why do you think it is? Why animation? Why is that what really called out to you was pursuing that? Why do you think that is? You know, I think, I think it goes back to like the six, 10 year old kid, you know, that's just like, I, this is what I was into. You know, I, I really can't call why I was into it so much mm-hmm. or what drew me to it. It's like, 
you know, what draws a skater to what, what draws a skater to the ice or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I don't know. It's just like one day I remember this is the this is the most vivid memory I have that I realized. Oh, it was like a it was a little bit of a um, eureka moment, for lack of a better word. It was I was watching I was watching the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right. And I remember <laughs> that I may have been like six years old. And I remember taking my Fisher Price chair and setting it in front of the television and I went and grabbed a sheet of paper and a pencil and I drew what I was watching on the screen. I don't even know where that came from, but I remember doing that and I remember looking at the thing I made and saying, wow, that's pretty cool. (laughs) And and at that point, it was a wrap, you know, and then you, you, you start to mine that feeling. And so I think for me, you know, why animation is because it's just a thing that I think I was, you know, it's in me to love. I don't know why. I mean, I just love drawing. You know, obviously there was something about being able to draw that probably was in me as well that just kind of like gravitated to this thing. I didn't know. I, I, did, I just, there's no way I would have, I didn't grow up around it. So I just had to naturally be attracted to it. Right. And so I would think it was just in me. I, I really do. I really do. So I love I love it. I yeah, love it's it. like breathing. It's just yeah, it's like breathing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's true of most artists. I think it is just something you're just born with. It's just there, and you don't know why, but it's just there. Yeah. 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 yeah, well, yeah. Let's talk about mosquito, the bite of passage, which <laughs> is so good. I, it is so good. I really was. I feel honored that I was able to watch it. And I frankly would love to have it as like a television series or like a full length feature. I don't know if you've at all thought about that, but just just throwing that out there. But how did this idea come about? How did you come up with this idea? And if you want to explain what the, what it's about as well. Well, yeah, it's uh, I appreciate that so much for watching it. First of all, you know, anybody that gives you the time of like, for me, I'm like, you gave me seven minutes of your time. I appreciate that to watch something. That film took me two years to make, and it's only seven minutes. <laughs> and uh, you know, it was a it was a total labor of love. It was actually my thesis film, to be specific, from USC. Um, and it was, you know, it started off as a project where myself and my my one of my good friends, who's a co-director, we were fishing for ideas. And we, you know, he had an idea, he had a premise growing up in Beijing. His, his name is, is Eric Chung or Tong Chung as he is, is his actual Chinese name. And he, um, he is in Beijing now, but he was, when we were here as students, he had this thing about, you know, growing up hearing about mosquitoes as a kid and like they were, you know, these like, you know, the women were the warriors, right? And that was his thing was like, you know, they're... And then, and then he had this little like concept of like, what if they were fighter pilots and this kind of thing? And I was like, well, that's so, that's so interesting. He had this drawing of a fighter pilot that was a mosquito. And I said, you know what? I, I can relate to that. And I was sort of drawing at that point, trying to find ways to put myself into a story, into the story. And I think for anybody that's like an aspiring filmmaker or a filmmaker, I personally have found that the more I can find myself in a story, the stronger the story becomes. And, you know, that's how your characters become more real and three-dimensional. That's how your story feels grounded in a reality that you understand. And I think 
for me, it was about, I really made a film about finding myself to come and, and sort of actualize myself as an artist and come out to my, my folks and come out and just really finding ways to express myself as a person. And I think that idea of like finding and standing in your own or standing in your truth, for me, was very true and very, very real to me. And I was like, well, what if we just kind of like spun it to make it more of this sort of self-actualization journey? And uh, we started that road and, you know, I wrote the script and uh, we co-directed it and we storyboarded the film 50-50. And uh, we actually brought in a lot of people to help. You know, we animated a lot of it. Like the keyframe animation, what I would say, is like the, the bake base of the animation and all the staging we did ourselves. And then we would source out to be help have people help smooth it out and do the voice do the lip sync and we found some great actors we was one of the actors was um this lady named uh alicia reyes she was so great she was on a show called the proud family i don't know if you've ever watched that show um well she uh she was great and she came in and just really did did an amazing job and we just wanted to tell you know the thing that i loved about the movie and i loved about it was you know, I took from characters like my mother and my sister and like having these real, I love the idea that the women, you know, I love the idea. At that time, it was pre, pre, uh, you know, the, I would say the beautiful sort of uh, movement towards really focusing in on getting more women in positions of, uh, or roles of sort of like empowerment in, in, in films. But I was just like naturally gravitated towards that because the women in my family were like the women in Mosquito, were like the, the mother and the daughter, uh, really strong minded, like focused in a certain way. So I just put my sister in it. I put my mom in it. And I really wanted to make a story that felt honest as, as much as possible. And, you know, I liked I liked the fact that the women were the hunters and the women were the were the sort of quote unquote masculine characters or roles in that in that sense. And it was just. It was fun, you know. It was a lot of fun. We shot live action, which was super, was super tricky to do, and that was sort of what why they sort of advancement had come in because they had never done a film like that at USC to that scale. Oh. And so I shot it on a sound stage, and we had to plan out everything to like you're, you're doing a visual heavy visual effects shoot. So you know it was heavily storyboarded. We cut all the storyboards. It was like an animatic. And this is somewhat of the workflow of animation for features, but the visual part of it of matching plates to live action to animation has another step to it where like all your camera stuff has to be worked out. Everything has to just be, you just, there's no, you know, there's a little bit of happy accidents, you know, like you would have in a live action, but there's not too many, right? It's like, <laughs> you kind of need to know where you're going to go in this shot, in this scene. And, you know, that kind of has to be baked in and determined beforehand. So uh, we did get a lot of fun improvisation with our voice actors, which was a lot of fun. But um, we shot it on a soundstage. And then we started the process of building all the assets, building all the characters, 3D modeling the characters. At one point, I have this embarrassing clip that I'll show at some point when we release the film, which we are working on it. Long story short, Mosquito, we... We sold that film to Fox Studios before the Disney merger, and I went out oh. to New York, and as a that's when I was also working as a story artist at Blue Sky. And the Disney merger happened shortly be after I sold the, sold the film, and what 
uh, kind of out of a stroke of, of luck, we were able to, the paperwork in these things took a little while to get finished. So by the time the paperwork had finished, the Disney merger rumors were already started. And so it was just like, my my instincts and my team's instincts was don't don't sign off because when people show up to kind of take over, there's the sort of change in management that you might just get lost. It might just get lost in the shuffle and be on the shelf, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so we ended up taking it back and then redevelop it. And now we're bringing it back out for, you know, who wherever the best home would be. And maybe that is Disney again because I'm I'm there right now. So we'll see. But at the end of the day, yes, it will be something. And we I was just cranking through that yesterday as well. <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah. So thank you for that. And I appreciate the encouragement because uh well, I haven't launched the film. It's just short will be will be released soon. But um yeah, so so that's that was I guess that's the long and short. Um I guess anything else we'll, yeah, hopefully that well with <laughs> with that one, you know, I just want to point out a few things that I thought were so great about it. Um, the sound design, too, like even just having the the live action human character just sounding like almost like with the growling. <laughs> I mean, just that, just just the whole sound design added to it. The um, And I love the fighter pilot image with them. And you've already delved into a little bit of... Um, how the teen, the young mosquito, how she's fighting against, you know, her destiny and how she doesn't even like blood. I mean, <laughs> the thing is not yeah. even liking blood and she's a mosquito. And, you know, what we think of is that that's all their purpose is, is to, is blood. Yeah. Um, so that, that was very interesting to me. And I, I'm glad that you talked a little bit about combining the live action with the animation, because I, I can only imagine how difficult and how joyous at the same time it would Mm. be because it's seamless. I mean, it doesn't at all. You can, it seems real. It works. It fits. And I know you have done that again um, after that one as well. Is that something that you would like to keep pursuing? Is that the majority of what you would like to do is a lot of just the combining live action with animations? Yeah, you know, I mean, there, there's, there's, um, that's a great question. I was just, you know, one thing that I, I will say that ties back to what I was speaking about earlier was, I didn't realize that the engineering part of sort of the technical mindset that I had built through these years of training that would facilitate or help out a lot with this film. Like, it really allowed me. Like, there were so many programs that I had to learn, you know, and so many concepts that I had to learn in such a short amount of time that. If I wasn't really that organized or if I hadn't had the critical thinking skills, I don't think I would have got it as, as quick. Because I was, I mean, really, you know, Aaron, like <clears throat> the, the, the non-pretty part of this film is it for a year, it required me in the basement of a computer lab for about, you know, till about two or five in the morning rendering on machines or figuring out how to track this and how to do that and, you know, sleeping in computer labs <laughs> like, and rendering underneath people's machines. So when people were like working on their computers, why is my Maya so slow? Oh my God. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. I've been here. I just, Maya looks fine to me. And it was just like a thing where I had to, you know, how do you, you know, I, you know, there's a thing where your ambition is, becomes like the, you have to face the realities of your ambition a little bit, you know, and, and 
I knew that I needed to make the scope of this film simple. We knew that, and, and that's why we kept it to one room. But there's also the unknown unknowns, right? And that was a big part of this film. I mean, there are frames that take, you know, when each frame of the film, in some areas, take like three hours to render, you have a very small margin for, 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 for error. Or, or you'll show up the next day, and you got to redo all that. So you can easily lose a day before you know it. And, and a lot of time can build into that. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, yeah, like um, there was a lot to it that I think having a sort of technical mindset aided in. And then also like the design, growing up and doing industrial design. So I designed all the like the backpacks and how the me mechanics would come out. And, the, and you'll see when, you know, people see the film which I might even just launch the film whenever this launches. It would be fun, but because <laughs> um, um, I've been I've been meaning to do that. But um, it it basically has a whole like you know mechanical reality to it, you know. And that was yeah. one of the things that I wanted desperately for the film to feel like these things could happen, like you know, almost like a toy maker or something. Like I, I just want this thing to be real. Like you can go build it, and uh, I spent a lot of time with that. So there's a lot of it that my life worked perfectly for it, you know? And the sound design was another thing you mentioned with the uh, the guy and the scale and the scope of it, you know, just what would that feel like if you were a mosquito, you know, mm -hmm. like almost almost like this Godzilla-like presence. Yeah. That, uh, and, and, and having the humans, the thing with that kind of storytelling is like, how do you keep that, as not part of the plot so much and just more so about this emotional journey between these two characters. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, and, and just using the person as a sort of a kind of hand of God or, you know, a, 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 a way to move the plot forward, but not necessarily grounding it emotionally, like using that to push the emotion between these two characters. And that was the goal uh, of, of, of the short in, in that way. So hopefully. Yeah. That. Yeah. The human was like the catalyst mm -hmm. of, yeah, of, of the young mosquito coming mm -hmm. out and saying that's not what she wanted to do. And also the young mosquito becoming a hero at the mm -hmm. end of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's, it's a great little short. I mean, really, I really encourage everybody to seek it out because I really think it's, it's, it's amazing that, um, I mean, the talent behind it. And, you know, I don't think people realize how hard it is really to make a movie. And I think this would be 10 times harder, but to make even just a simple little movie, getting one little one minute shot of anything can take you all day, <laughs> you know, and that's what I think people don't realize is how time consuming making a movie is. So it's a miracle whenever any of them actually get made. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. It's yeah. you. It's such an elusive thing, right? I mean, the illusion of uh, the things that you see on TV. It's like you have so much TV now, right? And I'm like, God, these these things take so much time. I mean, you know, most people don't realize that a feature film in animation takes about five years. Like, that's crazy when you think about like you're really invested for something. I mean, you can only do so many of them in your lifetime, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's a lot of work for, yeah. for people to see these Pixar films, these, you know, blue sky films, all this stuff is just, it takes such an, a massive in, in hundreds, if not thousands of people. And oh, uh, yeah. Crazy. 
Yeah, when you, because um, I was watching Spies in Disguise last night um, <laughs> in preparation. And just, you know, when you just sit there through the credits and you just look at everybody involved and how many people are involved in making any movie, period, but especially in making any animated film and just looking at that, it's just, it's astounding <laughs> all the work that goes into making a product. You know, it's it's pretty incredible. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I want to move on to Harold's fish sticks, which I still laugh at the line in there, um, attack assault with tartar sauce, because <laughs> this is one where a fish stick is being interrogated by a police detective, and <laughs> and that one's only like, it's like only like a minute and a half, or am I, am I yeah, wrong about that? Around yeah. there, around there, yeah, yeah. a minute and a half. Yeah, I watched that one a few times because, and I just I loved that one. It was so clever, Thank and you. I, you're welcome. I especially love the uh, credit sequence where the detective is talking <laughs> uh, and about how he used to love fish sticks. I mean, it's just it's just so clever. Uh, so, how did that idea come about? How did you come up with that one? Well, um, <laughs> thanks again too. I appreciate that. Um, the the that came from I worked for a few years as a, as an art director in advertising. And, you know, that was sort of my first, one of my first steps into, into film and, and from, from coming from where I was from, I worked at an ad agency in Detroit for a while. And I always wanted to make commercials, you know, I always wanted to feel like I could, could, um, you know, I always wanted to make like fun commercials. And, and sometimes you know, working in the industry, I didn't get, I got a chance to make some cool stuff, but like the kind of stuff I wanted to make, I was sort of like, you know, now that I can do and have these skills to like make an animation with live action, it was, it was also a subtle um, test for Mosquito because I knew I wanted to push the envelope with the technology. And that was something that I think kind of where my mind is always like I, I look at filmmakers that really push the boundaries of like or are attempting to push the boundaries of of that you know of where the medium can go and I love that so much in addition to the storytelling itself and so I wanted to really work on this world of combining the worlds of live action and animation and I was like yo I, I knew at that time in my career I was just starting film school and I knew that I could make a commercial so I was like, let me do what I know I can do. I can make a commercial. So it really was a subconscious thing. I don't even know where fish sticks really came from. Because <laughs> it was something that came out of the like subconscious of my mind. And it was a and it was a Harold was a total name that came out of the subconscious of my mind. And um I just had this this idea about this in just, you know, uh uh, you know, <laughs> Just a just a wild, violent, crazy, you know, fish thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was just I don't know. I don't know. It's it it was it's insane. It's insane. And so like I and I'm I'm gonna I, I really tend to go towards absurd humor personally. Mm-hmm. That's like for my like just my taste. And um I was just like, yo, what if we I mean it was really, and it was. It came together in such a crazy way. I ended up going to my buddy, who was a, who was a great actor, who was a commercial actor, and now he's he's a you know TV actor and does a lot of stuff uh, uh, on television. But I remember showing up at his house one night. And I was like, "Yo, 
this is, this is where you know you got a true friend. I said, yo, bro, I got a film about a fish stick. <laughs> a fish stick, bro. You want to do this? And so he ended up off the cuff because he's such a good improv actor as well just going into what this character would be. And I grew up next to a cop and I remember, you know, asking like, well, what, how would you interrogate any person, right? So like, I'm trying to layer as much reality into it. I ended up writing a little background to the cop, like how his, you know, in this world of like how fish could be with food and like, I mean, fish and food and humans could kind of coexist and what the, I went overboard, right? But I just, if I can find, you know, a little nugget of truth to put into the show, put into the to this little one and a half minute, hopefully it would show, right? So that's my mentality going into it. So yeah, I remember, you know, giving him his whole background and the fish stick had his own background. And he did a lot of great improvisation too. That scene at the end yeah. is basically me feeding him uh some ideas and he just ran with it based on what he had from the background of the character and all the you know like, all the you know frozen fish stick you know <laughs> growing up in school all that stuff was just him just off the cuff and uh you know that stuff yeah. really worked out a lot with 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 the ideas so it was fun man it was really yeah fun. he was he was really good we say and that was Joel Steingold. Joel Steingold. Yeah, and he's he was so good. He was so funny. <laughs> in order to make that that work, in order to make that storyline work, you have to have that character playing that character straight, playing the yep. officer straight, yep. and just not going for the laughs because it wouldn't work that way if he was being all you know crazy and over the top. He just had to play that character straight, and it worked so well. The interrogation scene is great. And I loved that you had the fish stick, fish stick just mumble. You know, you couldn't understand what the fish stick was saying. And I thought that worked perfectly. And then him just throwing that. <laughs> I mean, it was just so good. It was so good. Really. I just, I was, I was cracking up and I was cracking up just remembering the lines just after watching it. So just the writing is, is so clever. So I want to talk about that a little bit. What, what the writing process is like, especially when you write comedy, because I think people don't realize how hard it is to do comedy. Yeah. Um, so, so what is your writing process? If you can describe that, I know it's kind yeah. of a weird thing to try and talk about, but <laughs> no, no, no. You know what? It's funny because I bump up into that idea pretty, pretty frequently. You know, like my mind is always chasing for some sort of formula in a way. Um, and I think part of the thing that, my journey at least has been is about finding what my process is right and trying to find it in a way that i can access it consistently depending on whatever i'm working on so for commercials i had done enough commercials where i knew how to do setup punchline deliver you know i knew the formula of commercials in a way that my mind could just sort of work through it now the comedy of it definitely was one of those things that i had to grow and develop into because you said it perfectly. Like, you know, I think some of the illusions of comedy, when you open the hood of comedy, it's very, comp it's very complex, you know? Mm -hmm. And there is a way or a formula, in a sense, um, there's a form to it, right? And it's like, like, okay, we have a fish stick, right? So you don't want the, like you said, clearly, like perfectly, you don't want the cop to also be a bizarre character, right? Mm -hmm. He's going to be a bizarre character if he plays the straight man, right? So it's like, how do you balance a story and how do you register something quick? Cause comedy has to register fast. Like you can't, you don't have time to explain. 
Like, mm-hmm. if I got to think about it, I've already lost the joke, you know? And so, you know, for me, I knew what was funny, and the funniness came out of the funny for me always comes out of the scenario of the situation. Like, it was really a real crime scene investigation. It was really a real interrogation. I didn't approach it like a joke. I tried to approach it like a real interrogation. That's why I asked, what would somebody really ask? What are the questions that they would do? How would they approach it? Now, because the world is absurd, you have something like tartar sauce being thrown in or whatever. <laughs> but that that felt grounded in something that could happen, right? And so, like, being able to register and believe it so fast was really... I think the crucial part of something that bizarre. So like my process really is like trying to not be funny. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to not be jokey, trying to not mm-hmm. as much as possible try to draw attention to myself as a director or a writer and just try to build a world that feels bizarre and make it as emotionally real as I can. Now, the and, and, and if I can do that, I feel with, you know, it, it, it's funny a fish stick saying this, you know, but it's also like, I mean, it's like, if, if that was a real person, it would maybe be a little funny. If it's a fish stick, it's really funny because it's just a bizarre mm-hmm. thing. So I'm just really, I guess, long story short, trying to make it feel real in a crazy, bizarre, hilarious world. That's basically... My, my method. Now, for television, it's the same thing. It's just, as you know, as a screenwriter, you know, you got bigger variables, more variables, rather, to mix into, you know, um, a, to mix into, like, a television show or a, a feature film. But it's the same principle, right? Like, don't mm-hmm. go for the laugh. Never go for the laugh. Like, I do stand-up comedy. And the stand-up comedy, you know, when you first started, or me at least, you think it's, it's, it's a little bit about being funny, but it's, I had a great teacher that was um, a guy who was a stand-up comic for, 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 for many years. He was just like, look, I'll teach you everything you need to know about stand-up comedy the first day. He was like, if you want to, he said, if you want to make a few people laugh, talk about things. If you want to make everybody laugh, talk about yourself, you know? And like the idea that vulnerability is relatability and like you're not looking for jokes, jokes will come out of the organic nature of the reality. And I think for TV, you know, I have a show right now that I'm, uh, that, 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 that's at FX that we're developing. And um, that part has been for me, finding myself in the story and finding the truth of the story. Like the world that I've built is already super bizarre, kind of similar to Harold's Fish Sticks. So it's now, my job is not to be funny. My job is to find the reality and to bring the reality out in this bizarre world. So that's where kind of my process, I guess, more or less, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it really does. I used to do improv all the time. And I know with improv, that's the big thing is you cannot try and be funny because if you try and be funny, Mm -hmm. it'll fail because Mm -hmm. it won't be authentic. So you're right. Finding the realness, even though you may be in an absurd situation, Mm -hmm. still finding the reality there is what will make it funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and not trying to be funny, if you know, because that will always, I think, always fail. And you know, comedic actors, I have to say, are 
they are such good actors because, and I think people just kind of brush it off and say, oh, comedy is easy, but comedy is very hard to do. And that's why you'll find that a lot of those actors, when they branch out and they might do something dramatic, just turn in these amazing performances and everybody's like, wow, I'm so shocked. But really, they've had to be doing these hard performances this whole time. You're just seeing a different side of their um, toolbox, really. So, yeah, yeah, comedy is just, I really appreciate that. I don't, I write a lot of dramatic stuff and I write um, horror, which is what I really should probably be focusing on because that's the one I just won an award for. And I'm like, okay, so I guess that means I'm supposed to be doing that. So, <laughs> what well, I, tr- no, go ahead, go ahead. But I try to add humor into everything I write, but I try to have it be natural of mm-hmm. just, you know, because that's how it should, I think that's the best humor is stuff that comes naturally. A hundred percent. No, a hundred percent. I mean, that's, that's like, you know, I think the foundation to your, to what you just said, the foundation of comedy is drama. Like you can't have humor unless you have, it's like, it's drama turned up a notch. Right. And it's like the absurdity is what makes it hilarious, but it's not, they're saying anything. If you tone down any movie, you know, any comedic movie, you know, in terms of just the absurdity of maybe the character's reactions to things or uh, the world or the situation they're in, it will play as a, as a drama. It plays a good drama, too, you know? Um, and I think there's a lot to that, that, to your point, when the comedic actors kind of do drama, they're actually toning it down a little bit to, like, in my, in my, uh, in my opinion, to, to, to really find a more grounded space and not a sort of extreme space that they were living in with comedy. So no, it's, it's interesting. And then the horror is a great thing too, man. It's so funny because we've seen that paradigm change. Now you, you mean horror comedy is a thing now. It's yeah. like a huge yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's so fun to see that, you know? It's yeah. So fun. Mm-hmm. Well, and you see people that you associate just with comedy, like Jordan Peele, mm-hmm. who was associated with comedy, and then he comes out and his first film is Get Out, which mm-hmm. has a lot of comedic beats to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, but you you wouldn't necessarily have been like, oh, I think the movie Jordan Peele is going to make is going to be a horror film. You wouldn't have maybe thought that, but he's so good at it (laughs) that of course it fits and he always adds that humor which i think really enhances a lot of horror films if you have those humorous beats that kind of adds this levity and takes you out of you know this terror for a moment and lets up a little bit and gives you a moment to kind of laugh at it Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah totally totally um well and you talked a little bit about this when we were talking about harold's fish sticks but how do you approach working with, with actors? Um, are you hands-on or do you just kind of let them just decide where to take the character? Um, oh, that's a great question. I, I mean, my, my training, at least from my, what my experience has been is all of it, in my opinion, is a trust exercise when you're a director. Like, you know, it's hard to be a micromanage. It's it's like you have to have a. I have a micromanage hat for a lot of things. Not micromanage, but a very like. I believe you be as clear and direct as possible, and you trust the people that you work with. Like the key is hiring great people that you can 
give them something and they can make it their own and you love that thing, right? They're, they're, they're their own. Like, you got to find, in my opinion, you got to find people that are doing things that you can't do as, as well, in my opinion. And, and, and that's their thing and, and you respect that and you want to see that in this nugget of an idea that you're giving them. And so, you know, for me with actors, I approach it that same way. So, like, I find, you know, if you're a great actor, you know, you're a great thinker, you're an analyst, you know, you, you, I need to just, all I need to be able to do is give you the character. And I need to give you what I feel is the emotion behind this scene, what emotionally needs to happen in this scene, and I'll let you go. Now, that has worked by and large for me. And they, and they, you know, people joke is like casting is like 98% of it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a joke, but the casting is like a massive, massive part of it. Because yeah. it is about these people are writing the film essentially the second time, right? So like I had an idea going into it. I wrote something that I give to a person. They're writing it again, basically, in their performance. And the editor will write it again. And it's like, I need, though, to have this one emotion, though, carry through everything. And so I don't want to be caught up in, can you say it like this? Can you say it like Unless it's like something so specific that needs to happen with that scene. Rarely do I do that. I mean, comedy, you sometimes want to, like, you sometimes want to suggest a, like, rhythm to a scene. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because there are comedies so much about rhythm. Um, and so there are ways to kind of like, in my opinion, like, let's do that double time. Let's do that slower. What about, you know, the emotional feeling is like, you know, whatever, some, whatever thing that you may have that you say you want to give to the actor as a gift and say, here, can you make this your own? But I never, in my opinion, I, will, I, I hired that person. I, I asked that person for their gift for a reason. And I want to respect that. And I want to see that come, you know, see that person make it their own. And that, for me, is really the thing that has, I've been fortunate enough to see that pay off tremendously, you know, Um, because I also recognize that, you know, this is a deeply collaborative um, field. And it's a little bit of a miss, miss, it's very much like this weird misinterpretation that direct that the director is somehow like God or something. Like the director needs to tell you everything. And it's just like, who came up with that? Like it's just like this is about working with a bunch of people. Yeah, I'm the only thing that I think is a director. You're the shepherd of the emotion of the story. And you're the shepherd mm-hmm. of the story. And you basically when the things, you know, to make sure that people are marching in the same direction, essentially to get mm-hmm. to a certain place but you're not telling them you know step three times here then go over here you just gotta this is the goal and everybody is is smart enough beyond capable enough and 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 you know smarter than you many times that they will get there if you're clear about where you want to go and so mm-hmm. that's sort of how i focus as a director um and it's worked out really well for me um but the key i think is also picking the right people so yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And, um, you know, as they say with this is going back to the writing a little bit, but as they say with, you know, as the writer, you're kind of you gave birth to this child in a way and you're giving it over to other people to raise. I mean, that's really a lot of what it is. is you're like, you've got to just kind of let it go. 
Mm-hmm. And that's why I think, it, and it's very hard for writers, I some, think sometimes to do this, but when you're writing something, it's hard not to be like, and definitely say it this way, definitely do it this way. You should definitely cry here. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are times when you want to put that in there, but then you want to also back up a little bit and go, okay, well then I'm not giving the actor anything to really delve into. I'm not allowing the actor to make this character their own or allow anybody else to make it their own because mm-hmm. it really is you kind of have to just give it away <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so and I think that's so that's a great approach for actors and yeah I've been in um I used to do more theater and I have been in there where you're casting even for theater and anything that you're casting for it's so imperative that you find the right fit because if you don't it's not going to go the way anybody wants to. And also having that, and sometimes you don't know this, but having that chemistry together as well, like knowing, okay, we can work well together. They can listen to me. I can listen to their feedback. Um, also having that. So it doesn't you know, yeah. turn the experience no. sour. <laughs> yeah. so, so, you know, exactly like, you know, you made me think about, for instance, a lot of times we'll have an intention I mean, actors are a great litmus test, too, for a scene because yeah. you can go into a scene like, hey, you know, I envision the person crying in this scene, right? Mm-hmm. But the actor's like, wait a minute, from what I know the character, they wouldn't do that here. Or that doesn't feel earned because you got to get to those places, right? They have to yeah. emotionally find those places. And so if you're not, if, if we're not building it naturally to that progression, then it won't, you know, the, then you'll realize like, oh, maybe there is something and I need to rework. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you need to laugh in this scene. I don't know. You know? But, uh, <laughs> my bad. You know, <laughs> you know that, that, that's, that's a great point. That's a great point. So. Yeah, because it, it will sound different in your head sometimes than it does <laughs> once you actually hear it <laughs> or yep. see it. You know, you can vision it and, you're, and it's totally different than what actually comes about. So, yeah. Oh. Um, well, let's let's talk a little bit about spies in disguise. How did you how did that opportunity to work as a storyboard storyboard artist come about for that one? Um, well, that came about through Mosquito and and someone who saw Mosquito, uh, you know, a lady named Vanessa Morrison and Lisa Fragner. Vanessa Morrison is now the head of Disney Plus, who she used to be the president of Blue Sky, and Lisa Fragner also is the head of development over at Blue Sky now. Um, and basically they saw Mosquito and really were excited about it. And they, 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 they gave me, you know, an opportunity to kind of start my journey at that studio. And so it was very, very fortunate and worked, you know, worked on that movie for a little bit of time with uh, Trey Quayne and, and uh, Nick Bruno, who were the directors and great guys and great, you know, great directors. And so it was a learning experience for me to just jump into something that moves so fast and, that was a that was a that was a challenging challenging tough journey to be honest with you because it was so fast. I mean, you know, it really broke me in a way as a, as a, as an artist because it definitely you 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 stop being precious. I think the key to being a professional artist is you have to switch a gear that says this is not about making this is about the end goal uh, a little bit and like. Prior to that experience, I was like, "Well, let me make this drawing like this and like that," you know. And then, and, and you're 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 in some ways 
perfectionism will be your demise as a professional artist because there's no such thing and it only slows you down and speed becomes your best friend. And so there's a level of detachment that you have to sort of connect to mm. your work that you serve the function. So like as a story artist in animation, I'll give you an example. You, you could get a scene that's two pages. That two pages could be anywhere from, from you know, 50 to 200 images, you know? And you got to be able to belt that thing out regardless within a certain amount of time and really have it work, you know? And you can't spend a lot of time muddling over things. You have to be able to move. And, you know, I think some of my, especially coming from film school to, to the pros like that, definitely got you in that. It, it just, it, you, you can't survive if you don't make that adjustment, right? And mm -hmm. you, you have to make it quick and it's, it's exhausting. It's very taxing for me, at least it was. And, but I came out on the other side of that, a, a much better drawer. And then, you know, the drawing though, when I say a better drawer, I don't mean like I'm sitting here sculpting these, uh, these, these masterpieces per frame. I'm getting, I, I, I I am a much stronger drawer, but I can get there so much faster now because I've, I've let go of the preciousness, you know, and I can get to the gold quicker because I'm not caught up in aesthetics. I'm not caught up in like my own ego, so to speak. I'm just more about what's the goal of this scene. Let's communicate it clearly, focus, you know, focus it, the eye, the tools that you need. There are tools that you need, just like an actor, just like a screenwriter, a storyboard artist has a specific set of like tools that you have to know. And that that's just part of learning and growth. But a big part of that is also learning how to not be precious anymore. Like they have a really harsh and you I know you've heard this, like the kill your babies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be you have to be used to killing your baby. And that's that's very true. That's so true. I mean, you could make a scene belt out 200 images and they're like, eh, no, that's a scene's not going to work. You're back to the drawing board and you have to love drawing and you have to sort of be, there's just a speed expectation that you can't have if you're precious. So that's, that's, that's sort of how, how that happened and sort of what that journey was. But I'm extremely thankful. It was like, it's like I was in like some sort of boot camp, you know, like being in that, yeah. it's like a, like a training camp of some sort and, you know, it's just, uh, it does make you a better artist. I will say that. It made me a much better artist. So, And I like that, that precious description. I haven't heard of it put that way before, but I think that's that's a really good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, especially as a screenwriter, right? So, like, in your experience, yeah. you know, like, you know, somebody coming to you, I need X amount of pages, or I need, I, need, I need this story, whatever that range of pages is, and that might get shredded up. You know what? You know, especially in animation too, because screenwriting mm -hmm. and animation is so iterative that you could be belting out scenes that will totally like the waste product in animation in terms of story is really, really high, really high, and that's part of the way animation works because it's not a we have a script that's locked in and we're going to go shoot out on the field and that's that. You slowly craft the story as you get more and more stuff you know so like i'll storyboard this scene oh it didn't work maybe there's a problem with the script let's go change the script 
Let's storyboard it some more. Let's make a new scene. You know, so it's, it's, you have this ability to rewrite and re quote unquote shoot constantly in animation through storyboarding that you would not have that luxury as a, as a live action, you know, mm. a, a film, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's quite a process. Yeah. That killing your babies, <laughs> killing your, and it's always the stuff that you really love the most. That it's the oh, oh yeah. That you oh. end up shredding or getting rid of. <laughs> I think that's the humor to it. It's always the thing you love the most. And like yep. that yep. part of it, and that's a great, that's a great segue because one of the things that I have learned as a professional is that you, you, the more you can get your ego out of the picture, it will help you tremendously in your career. So it's like, you know, an animation is so group mind, is so group think that you really only have to be focused on what's best for the story, right? And like a great idea can come from anywhere. And, you know, a lot of times it's not about you coming up with the idea, it's about what you can do with the idea to make it even better. And like, you know, there's so many, there's just so many times that it's just like, you're scrapping, you're going through so many, it's like almost like that concept of like, uh, you ever heard that Thomas Edison quote, it's like, you need, you know, it's like he, uh, uh, you know, he, I don't know how, I'm paraphrasing, but it's basically like, you need, you know, the 10,000 try was the light bulb and, and mm-hmm. you, you needed 9,999 failures to get to that place, yeah. right? And that's kind of the idea with these stories. I mean, these Pixar films, these blue sky, you know, these animated films, when you see one that's like a lot of times I would say the storytelling is overall stronger in, in a lot of ways. I mean, a lot of them. I'll use Pixar as a good example as well because they've churned through five versions of that film, you know, mm-hmm. six versions of that film completely in storyboards. Like the, the thing has been written that many times from the ground up and, that's a very unique ability to have in animation. You know, it definitely just is about what does the story mean? Is it your great scene and your great character? I know you love that scene. I know you love when the character jumps off the cliff and flies, but is that helping the story that we're trying to tell or is that just a standalone scene? And knowing how to make that decision, I think is a big part of being a professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very true. And it does take long, I mean, I'm not like a successful person yet, but it, cause it does take a long time. That's one thing you have to realize in any um, artistic pursuit is that you're not going to be able to just knock on the door and boom, you're in the door and you're making mm-hmm. millions of dollars and you're mm-hmm. just the most successful thing. And, and I think that's where that, that ego comes in. Like you were saying, letting go of the ego. And it's like, if you're getting into any industry like this for fame then oh. you're in it for the wrong reasons totally. because and you won't make it. You just won't yeah. make it because mm-hmm. emotionally, mm-hmm. emotionally, it's too emotionally it's too much to take if you don't just love it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's no rational reason a lot of times to be in this industry. It's not. It's not. It's not driven by any sort of. I mean, the things are somewhat measurable, but it's it's like that. You know, there's more efficient industries out there. I'll put it like that. <laughs> there's more efficient industries out there. And how it happens, you know, the only thing I will say, and I deeply believe this, is that there are no shortcuts at all. None. And what you put in is what you get out. And people that want to jump that line 
tend to be disappointed because, you know, and, and you don't even want to jump that line, to be honest with you, because, look, I don't want to be put in a position. I've been in those situations where you put in a position where maybe you thought, you know, you may have uh, asked to be in something more than what you were ready for. And that can burn you in a different way. You know, that could hurt your reputation. That could whatever, you know, and you want to make sure that you're ready. You're not always going to be sure that you're ready, but you want their progression to be like, you know, I don't want to shoot a short film. And then and then my next film is Black Panther. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like, I know your ego feels you could do Black Panther, <laughs> but your ego will be destroyed once you finish try to get into a movie like that and it don't work out. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you and you're not making films anymore to come off of a, a, a fall like that. You need to know that six by, by step by step, I can do this. Therefore I can do a little bit more. Therefore I can do more. Therefore I can do more. And you know, I'll use Ryan Coogler as an example. He started with Fruitvale. He did Creed. Then he did Black Panther. Right. And that, and each one of those were massive jumps, but they weren't, Fruitvale to Black Panther or, or a short film to Black Panther, there's a progression. And so I think for anybody, like if you stay consistent and you focus on the craft and focus on the work and put the work out there, don't, don't, don't hoard the work, put it out there, don't get precious with it so that you can get to the next thing. That's going to help build those, you know, reps that you need to, to get to a place where you, you eventually want to go, you know? Mm-hmm. In my opinion. No, well put. Really well put. Um, and I want to talk a little bit representation behind the camera and in animation. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's getting better at all? Or is it kind of the same? Or where do you see that going? Um, I think it's getting better. I mean, the film that I'm working on right now, I mean, unfortunately, I can't say too much about it. But it does have, you know, uh, a black female lead. It has a, a Latinx lead. It has... Uh, of uh, high women representation. It has a lot of things, and it's a great story. I mean, I'm going to be honest. The films that I I was telling my wife just today, the two uh, shows that I'm binging right now <laughs> is, uh, <clears throat> they're not animation, um, right this second, um, which I did, though, watch uh, 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 Zootopia yesterday. What a great movie. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, is what, I May Destroy You on HBO. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and search party, I love search party. <laughs> yes. I, I I binged it at one point, and I was like, oh, man, I need to watch the whole thing. So anyway, I mean, very, but but to my point, I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, you know, women leads, um, driving the story, deeply fascinating story. Things that I, you know, Michaela Cole's, uh, I don't know if I'm saying her name right, but but um, Coel or Cole, but uh, she she her story. Is about something I would never experience as a man, but it is deep. I mean, it's it's, a, mm-hmm. it's, it's deeply entrenching, and and uh, her skill and her team's skill is 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 um, of keeping you in the story is so uh, so so high. So I love it, and um, very very different kinds of filmmaking. But I guess to 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 yours, your question about representation behind the camera and in animation is growing. I would say animation has a tremendous road to go. I mean. You know, I mean, there's not many of us in animated studios at all. And, you know, you know, you, you're looking at studios of, of hundreds of people and 
you know, some of this I've had conversations. Some of this is definitely based on, you know, like, I'm going to be fair. I'm going to be honest. Like, because my parents did engineering, I had the ability to do art or had the resources in a way or the confidence that, you know, I could go into art. But if I was like, if I, if I didn't have any sort of like, in financial resources or like financial confidence that I could do these things, I feel like I probably would be a harder journey. It would be a much harder journey for me, you know? And like people have made tremendous sacrifices to, um, to be able to get to the places that they are as artists, because it's so, it's not it like, if, if you, if you're one generation of wealth, like, you know, or, or, or not, you know, it's a, it's a, it's not a, it's not a sure thing to go into the arts, you know, and you need to, you know, most of us, you know, a lot of people that, you know, come from minority communities, we're not, we don't have a ton of education on this part of the craft. You know, it's like go, when I was growing up, it was about being a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer, you know, these are the ways you can sort of guarantee a level of a, a modicum of success in society. And you can't really afford to not because like, you don't have a bunch of people that can support you know, you want to gain, move the ball forward, you know, within your family. And so, you know, art is not one of those that are high on the list for, you know, crafts to pursue. So you don't see a ton of kids. You see kids going in, but you don't see a ton of kids going into the arts. Um, and that's also another issue with, like, how we're exposing kids and at, at a younger age to what's possible. And I think part of, part of my... Um, I say ministry, if you will, is, uh, is, to, is to, to, to do that. Right now, I work with a program I was teaching just, I finished tomorrow, this program called TAP, which is uh, the animation project in New York. I teach, you know, with a group of uh, some of my colleagues at Blue Sky, we teach uh, youth that, you know, all over the city that basically wanted to get in, but didn't really know, wanted to do animation, want to learn animation. But they don't have necessarily the, maybe they don't have the financial means, maybe they don't have the, you know, you know, they didn't know about it in time, that kind of thing. And so I think, you know, the big issue of trying to get more people of color and more minority representation, more, you know, of uh, 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 women in these uh, places of directing and, and, and animation, I think comes a little bit with starting earlier and um, and then helping facilitate. I mean, look, you got to mm-hmm. you got to you got to help jumpstart this stuff. Like there's no, you know, how many, uh, you know people can afford an art school education, you know, and how many people, um, you know, you need, you need to help facilitate the, the direction. If you want these kind of people in your world and, and you want their perspectives and their perspectives are highly valuable and you can't afford to not have their, these perspectives in your, in, in the world because the world is changing and growing so fast. Like you can't keep doing the same old stuff, but we just can't. And so, I think it's a bigger issue, and I think it starts earlier than, you know, looking at art schools in college. I think it starts in high school and just trying to help mentor students to get through, you know, seeing art as a means of a great life, you know? I mean, a great life, you know? And it doesn't always have to be like, I want to be a director, I want to be a screenwriter. There's a lot of very consistent, well-paying jobs in this store, in the craft, in, in, in the film industry, you know? I mean, you know, there's a, you know, there's all types of visual designers, visual development, you know, all kinds of, uh, you know, storyboard art is one of them. 
you know, these are good, good crafts that can make you a very good living. And so that's something that I would like to further in my career, as I further my career, focus on to help grow, to help alleviate some of this, uh, ameliorate this problem, if you will. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, it, yeah, it's getting better, but it has a long way to go. Long story short. <laughs> yeah, no, it, I mean, yeah, it, I think it does. It, and I think the big thing is also people in any positions, in positions of power need to also step aside and let other voices be heard and help facilitate that if they have the power to do that. Um, and not just say the words of, yeah, we need more representation, but to actually help fac facilitate that. You know, if you have that power to do that, then you should do that. That's just my opinion on it. I mean, oh, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Great. And that, that takes more, that takes, you know, I mean, you, you would hope those people in power would have some level of uh, accountability from the perspective of like, you know, wanting that to happen because it is the right thing to do because, you know, things have been kind of held back for so long for so many kinds of people. But I also think on another level, you can't afford not to look at that because mm -hmm. you're not going to make, you know, we're, we're the world, the demographic of this country has changed so much that you just can't feed the same old stuff and, and, and expect to have like, you know, <laughs> expect to grow your profit margins or, or your quarterly uh, uh, earnings. You can't, from a business level, you have to address this issue. So I feel like you just can't run from it either way you try. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think it's kind of all it's everybody involved in all different aspects. I mean, you take one example, recent example that I like to use is with the new movie, with the new Candyman movie that's coming out. Love it, love it. Yeah, and pe but people keep, you know, focusing on the Jordan Peele aspect instead of focusing on Nia DaCosta and how it's her film. She's directing it. She mm -hmm. wrote it, you know, and, and people kind of have lost sight of that. And you see it a lot when people even write up do write-ups about it you'll see them say jordan peele's new movie uh, and he's a you know so the, and i think so we kind of have to change the way we talk about that and go no it's nia DaCosta's movie and you know now she's going to be doing the new captain marvel movie yeah, the next yeah, captain yeah. marvel which is awesome um so you know and and that was kind of that little step where she does um little woods is not the name of that movie yeah didn't i say that yes yeah 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 so did and then moving up, you know, and doing the Candyman. And she's also going to be doing a um, remake of Sleeping with the Enemy, that uh, Julia Roberts movie. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, so I'll, I'm excited to see that. But, yeah, I think it kind of it's all aspects need to work together and help each other and recognize and give credit where credit is due. Um, yeah. So I think that's how we can hopefully make a difference and make a change for the better. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I love that. I'm so I'm so excited for it. like, yeah, such such a cool like. I love that. I mean, I didn't even see you know the movie hasn't come out yet, right? It hasn't come out yet. No, <laughs> no it hasn't. It's okay, been yeah. yeah, it's been pushed to October. I think it's supposed to come out in October now, but who knows with everything going on? But yeah, yeah. But I saw that paper cutout film. I was like, yeah. oh, this girl is, she's serious. <laughs> Whoever she is, I need to, you know, I, I'm a fan. So that was, that was, that was so cool. So excited. Yeah. For 
I'm excited for it too. As as a horror fan, I'm a huge horror geek, so I'm really excited to see her take on that story. Because and I liked the original Candyman too, so it'll be interesting to see how this one measures up to that. Um, so, what are some? Can you talk about any of your future project projects? I know you've talked a little bit about them, but what are sort of your hopes for the future? What are your goals? Oh yeah, um, you know my my focus, I guess, as an artist. Um, it's a little twofold. I mean, obviously, I, 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 there's some stories that I definitely are deeply passionate about telling. And, and, and the things that I want to tell represent where I'm from. You know, I come from, you know, I come from like middle class to upper middle class black America. I come from a city that was like pretty much 80 percent African-American um, and just growing up in a world where, you know, it's just, it's just like I, I want to humanize parts of. Uh, I want to use humanize. I don't like that word. I want to, I want to normalize experiences that are, that have not been so much so, on, on, and, and take us to places like I love science fiction. I love fantasy. You could do a lot of that in animation, and um, and and just take us to places, you know, that 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 we haven't seen before. You know, cinematically and. and try to just, you know, through the things that I love, being authentic to those things and, and uh, you know, making sure that I represent the, the places where I'm from, you know. Mm. That, that for me is, would be my, my goal or my immediate goal, so to speak, and just representing, you know, a, a certain piece of myself, a certain piece of blackness, a certain piece of just, you know, I grew up also around, like, a bunch of different diverse worlds. And so I just, you know, I feel like the things that I'm into, I don't see necessarily yet expressed. Like, I feel like Jordan Peele probably felt the same way. And I think he did it in a way that was so universal. Cause I feel like, you know, it was so, the more, yeah, I heard this, 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 Vanessa Morrison only had this quote. She's like, the more specific you are, the more universal you become. And like, I think that's so true. You know, like I'm not trying to make, Things for everybody, but I hope everybody can relate to the things I'm mm-hmm. making, and that that is through animation. Um, you know, obviously as a, as, a, as a big form of it, but I'm also very much um, interested in and in, in want to do other projects that require live action and doing you know stuff like that. So for me, it's like you know writing and directing. Um, I also want to uh, build. A studio entity for you know people like myself to tell the stories that I think you know are not being told and and you know I see myself I see myself in the vein of like a Walt Disney you know somebody just you know saw saw a vision um, you know I you know I've never met Walt Disney but I just know that the things that I want to build are institutions as well and I and you know. I think it's great that people are giving opportunity to people, but I also feel like we we need to create opportunity where you don't have those. And that's that's part of my bigger plan. And um, you know, that's where I see see myself in the future. Wonderful. Great. And then you've already shared some advice, um, but do you have any other advice you want to share for any aspiring animators or aspiring filmmakers? Yeah, I mean 
the biggest thing I would say, and I, and I would save save hopefully people a lot of time, is that no one no one knows more about what you need to do than you. <laughs> it's like believe in yourself and trust in yourself. That is the number one rule. Like you're gonna have moments in your career and in your life that the world could be telling you to go left, and you just something about it feels wrong and you feel like I got to go right. I got to go right. Something's telling me to go right. And you got to learn to trust that. The, the quicker you can learn to trust yourself, whatever that looks like, I think the better you will, the faster you will become who you're supposed to be uh, as it relates to a person, but also as it relates to an artist, because, you know, your art is such a personal thing that you need to know who you are. And and there's just like, you know, I, I just feel like everyone has their own compass, you know, and you got to you got to the, the key to life, in my opinion, is you knew that compass when you were a kid, you grow up, you may lose sight of that through just needing to feel like to, to, to follow things or to fit in. But eventually, if you really want to actualize whatever your purpose was and your, your, your thing that's calling you is to get back on that train as quick as possible and to start listening to yourself and trusting yourself. Cause you know, you, you you're going to need it because there's going to be moments in your life and your career as an artist that, especially as a filmmaker, you will not have a clear, it won't be clear. You know, it won't be like this, you know, if I do this, then on the other side of that fence is going to be this, you know, it's just like, sometimes you're going to be walking in the dark and you just got to know that, the thing that I, the direction that I'm headed, I know it feels like the right thing and I got to keep going. And you got to be honest with yourself, you know, you got to, you know, listen to wisdom, but also you got to know what feels right. And, if, and, you know, I'm not saying um, to not listen to people or to like, you know, seek thoughts that, that can, you know, a lot of times you think what you, you'll seek out advice and, maybe what you're looking for is confirmation of the thing you're already thinking. And it's like, you just got to know how to listen to your voice and how to trust yourself. And that, for me, that was about being in silence and not necessarily having a bunch of stimulus around me all the time. Like I have my moments every day where I just, I walk and I, and I, you know, I kind of get in a meditative feel. I meditate sometimes. I, I've done everything that's just focus on how to connect with myself. And the more, you can connect with yourself as an artist. I think the stronger you become and the, and the more authentic and, 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 you know, eventually more successful you become as an artist. And um, that for me has been my personal journey and my, my recommendation for anybody. And, and I guess also just always be a student of the game. You know, there's never a, this is a lifelong journey. There was a film that I used to resonate with so much named, uh, have you ever seen this Hero Dreams of Sushi or Jiro Dreams of Sushi? I've never. I've I never... haven't. I haven't seen it, but I've heard about it. All right. Well, it's about this dude. Basically, long story short, he's like a he's a he's he's a guy that's like you know I, I hope he's still alive, but he was like deep in his eighties in this film. So he was like, but he was like the concept is like you're never a not a student. You're always going to be a student. There's always something more to learn. There's always more to gain. And, and you just constantly have to en en engross yourself in learning your craft. And look, all those other things, you know, are byproducts of that effort. 
the the money, the fame, the whatever you whatever you think could be a part of that. I mean, fame, to be honest, probably feels a little trapping, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> but, but you know, I, I guess the idea is that people recognizing your work. That's the thing. That's the thing everyone wants to be recognized and to have their work seen and appreciated and people to love on it because they loved on it. And I and I get that. And you and all that comes with learning and growing as an artist. And all that's a bit, it's it's gonna come. You just have to be persistent and keep going. When just 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 keep going. Just keep working. Keep working. Keep working. And that's the best advice I can give. Well, all of that's great advice. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Um, and I learned a lot, too. So I really <laughs> hope other people do, too, because it was really, really a great conversation. So if you want to just tell people where they might be able to find you or find any of your work or anywhere they might be able to follow you online. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Brian Vincent Rhodes, B-R-I-A-N-V-I-N-C-E-N-T. Dot com. You can go there or Brian Vincent Rose on Instagram. Um, that's pretty much where 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 I am. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can find 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 some stuff there and, and uh, more to come. <laughs> more to come <laughs> Wonderful. Social media, but uh, more to come. So <laughs> great. And I'll be linking in the show notes. I'll be linking your website as well so people can easily find it there, too. Thank you. Thank you so much, Aaron, for giving me this time. And I appreciate you for, for reaching out. And then and, uh, many blessings to you and your podcast and all the great projects that you're working on. And, and uh, maybe we'll at some point uh, uh, c- collaborate differently at some point. <laughs> maybe in the, in the future, it'd be int- animated horror. I don't know. But... <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm down for it. I'm down for it. <laughs> so, yeah. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. And this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at Facebook.com slash It's a Fandom Thing Pod. On Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you would like to be a potential guest on the show, feel free to reach out to us via Gmail at It's a Fandom Thing Pod at gmail.com. And on our next episode, we're going to be discussing guilty pleasures, which do you have any guilty pleasures, Brian? Oh, man. <laughs> I hear my wife going to see this. and No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> uh, guilty pleasures. You know what? I, maybe maybe my pleasures are so open now. Out in the, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have the guilt anymore about them, but I got, I got pleasures. <laughs> well, it should be that way too. We shouldn't feel guilty about him, but <laughs> which is a lot of what we'll discuss. And also remember that you can support the show for as little as ninety nine cents a month to nine ninety nine a month. Just be sure to click the link in the show notes, or you can go to our anchor page and click listener support. And as a reminder, one hundred percent of what we see from that from now until at least October first will be going to various Black Lives Matter organizations. So thank you so much. And remember, until next time, it's a fandom thing and Black Lives Matter. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, 
the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.